songs more than anything people remember them. And they get like yeah. written on people's hearts. They're the things that people leave church kind of humming. And when they're driving in their car like a week later, it comes back to mind. Like usually they're not like remembering like sermon points, but they are remembering some melody they heard at church. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Loop Community Podcast. We have a cool interview for you today because it's a recording of a live panel that we did. And it's with Chad Nagley and Dustin Smith, who are worship pastors at churches here in Chicago, and Matt McCoy. And they are going to be talking about how to introduce new songs to your congregation and at your church. So this can be something that's challenging because you never know which songs to introduce. You don't know how many. Oftentimes, as worship leaders, it feels like we're playing the same song 400 times. But the people in your congregation may only be hearing it once or twice if they only come to church every other week. So they're going to be talking about tips and just ways to introduce songs and how many. And it's just a really practical panel discussion. Hope you enjoy. Hey, you guys, this is Matt McCoy with Loop Community. I am so excited that we're going to be a part of the Worship Innovators Conference, June 8 and 9, 2020 taking place right here in Chicago, my hometown. And what's really cool is that Loop Community is going to be there, but we're going to also be at this conference with other companies we love, like Praise Charts, Church Front, Planning Center, Worship Tutorials, Worship Artistry, even the Worship Fails Instagram account is going to be there. And this conference is going to be geared towards worship leaders and teaching you how to use technology in worship. This is going to be a great event to bring your team to and learn all sorts of things like how to plan worship sets more effectively, how to run sound checks and rehearsals, how to implement tracks, how to automate lyrics and lighting, all sorts of really great things. So make sure that you sign up today at worshipinnovators.com. Limited space is available, so make sure you get your ticket. I don't want you to miss it. I hope to see you there. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the live stream. We're so glad that you're with us. Today, we're going to be talking about introducing new songs to your church. I've been a worship leader for the past 15 years or so, and I'm joined here with a couple of really good friends of mine. I've got Chad Negley here from uh, Christ Church in Oak Brook, and Dustin Smith. What's up, guys? Hey, guys. So glad you guys are here. So we're going to just sit and talk. I, I thought it'd be cool just to have a conversation with fellow worship leaders about how do we introduce new songs to our church? Because it can be something that is... Uh, a challenging thing. Uh, and mm-hmm. I think as worship leaders, you know, we can be tempted to kind of just keep playing the same songs over and over and over because they're tried and true. We know they're going to work every single time we do them. So why introduce new songs? So I thought it'd be great just to like have a panel discussion where we're going to talk about just that. But we're going to just dive into this conversation. I'm really looking forward to this and I want to learn some things um, from you guys because I know you guys have both been leading for a long time. I'm just going to throw out a question. And you guys can just dive in and let me know what you guys think, all right? So we're going to talk about three areas today. We're going to talk about why you should introduce new songs at your church. We're going to talk about when you should do it. And we're going to talk about how, like practical tips on how do you actually introduce new songs to your church. So Chad, how about each of you guys, first of all, just give us like a 20-second quick just introduction of who you are, where you lead, how long you've been leading worship. Chad, go ahead and kick us off. Yeah, sure. Thanks, Matt. Uh, my name's Chad Negley, and I'm a worship leader at Christ Church, which is located in Oak Brook, Illinois, uh, about 30 miles straight west of the city. We've got both classic and contemporary worship. Uh, we run about six services a weekend, and uh, three contemporary and two on the classic side. So, Crazy. 
Yep. Dustin? Awesome. Yeah, I'm Dustin Smith. Um, I'm at Mission Church in Bloomingdale, Illinois, right down the street from Chad um, and Luke Community Office. Um, and over the past seven years, I've gone from like a volunteer role uh, on the worship team to coming on and leading the worship and tech teams here. Um, it's just been fun to go from portable to permanent and still trying to introduce new songs, keep the worship culture going, try it and true to us. So it's been fun. Yeah, this is awesome. What I love about this setup that we've got here is that, Chad, you're at a church that's kind of been established for, like, what, 100 years or something? <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. Yeah. And, Dustin, you're at a church that's pretty new, like, in the yeah. past couple of years. Yeah. And so yeah. I just love that we're going to be able to talk about, you know, an established church versus, like, a church plant and, like, how maybe those are different. First topic we're going to talk about is why. Yeah. Why do you introduce new songs? So the question I have is, why do you guys think that new songs are important? Like, why not just play the same songs over and over and over that always work? <laughs> Does anyone want to take that one? <laughs> yeah. Dustin, why don't you go, bro? <laughs> yeah, thank you. Oh, you're yeah. so gracious. You got it, man. Go. Yeah. My first thought is, you know, if you have a rotation of, say, 30 songs that you're going through that season, uh, maybe your church's season has changed a little bit. So you want to introduce maybe different truths that your songs currently aren't saying. Um, proclaim certain truths that are current to what your church's season is going through. Um, and sometimes, you know, Lion and the Lamb's just not speaking to the season you guys are in anymore, so you want to switch it out to raise a hallelujah. Um, so, yeah, it's always interesting to, you know, what season is your church in? Yeah, what season, yeah. yeah. Chad, what do you think about this? Yeah, yeah, that's good. Season is good, and, I, you know, I think, uh, like, for me, um I, I like singing new songs because of, of really what it reflects in the actual worship because, you know, God sings, right? So if God sings and that's part of his nature and his character, then that's something we should be doing. So when we introduce a new song, we're almost reflecting him, you know, reflecting what he does. The the passage in Revelation, it actually says that, that we're going to sing a new song in heaven. Yeah. It's not just something we're doing here uh, to grow in our walk with Christ, but it's also something all of us are going to do when we get there is going to be a new song. So we're, in a sense, following that model that's already been laid out for us. Yeah. That's yeah. interesting that you chose the verse in Revelation because I was actually thinking of the verse in Psalm, which, yeah. sa- which is more of a command of sing yeah. a new song to the Lord. Like right. it's not saying, hey, sing an old song to the Lord. Sing a song yeah. that is like, and I'm not saying that like he's saying that like, you can't sing an old song, but I do think it's interesting that it's like that God is interested in new songs and like yeah. what's happening in your church and what are new songs that are being written and like fresh ways of saying maybe the same old truths. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. I kind of liken it to a relationship because I think as you're in a relationship and you go along over the years, you have to come up with new ways to say the same thing. Right. Yeah. So it's very similar to that in terms of the congregation's relationship with God as they grow, as the church grows with God, we've got as worship leaders create spaces for them to express themselves in a new way since in theory they're growing with christ yeah yeah that's right yeah yeah because it's not like we're inventing new truths or anything like the word of god is the word of god it's 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 not changing Mm -hmm. um but i do think that like there are new creative ways to say things that um connect with a generation so i think Mm -hmm. about a song like so will i right yeah is like when i first heard that i was like mind blown (laughs) <laughs> and it's saying all the same truths you've heard before, but yep. in a very different, fresh way. And I just think that those kind of fresh ways can like ignite new springs inside of people. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. So when yeah. you guys are looking for new songs for your church, what are you looking for in a new song? Like, what are some mm-hmm. things you're actually looking for? Chad, I know you, got, you guys plan out your services, like, so far ahead. Yeah, we do. Your, your sermon series. Like, what are you looking for in a new song? Yeah, going back to what Dustin said, you know, in terms of the season, uh, he talked about maybe we might not do Lion and the Lamb, but we might do a song that says something else that kind of runs the whole pers- the, the whole timeline of uh, the different expressions that we have in worship. So a lot of times I'm not just looking for a song that will go well, but I'm looking to kind of fill a gap so that I can create a diet sort of for our worship congregation to experience God. Uh, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm trying to fill the gap because 30 songs is not going to cover every, every theological idea or every mm-hmm. expression of worship or every character of God. And so I'm always trying to find a song that kind of fills some of that gap. What are you looking for, Dustin? Yeah, uh, one thing that's really been um, in this season really looking for is uh, songs that show like the whole arc of the gospel. Um, the kind of, you know, you got, say you open up your worship set with a high energy song. Um, how do you move your congregation from, you know, getting relaxed, getting ready for it into really hearing um, the whole arc of the gospel within the next seven to 10 minutes, you know, which has really been interesting to um, songs that have been coming out of just seeing that recently of the new albums that have been coming out. Um, so yeah, just more substance in new songs because some yeah. of them are just really exciting and good and kind of get you relaxed and ready to worship. But ones that are really just like really get you into that. Yeah, right. Into that, um, you know, worship. Yeah, game. right. I know for me, when I'm looking for new songs, I'm looking for for sure theologically correct. Like for me, yeah. content always wins over style. If there's two, if yeah. there's a battle between a song that's really cool and sounds awesome and one that actually has really rich content, content always wins. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Now, the best case scenario is that you have both. You should yep. be able to have good content and good style. So yeah. I'm always looking for good theology. Yeah. And I'm and honestly there are songs you can just tell that like they're congregational. People are going to be able to sing this. Like a 10-year-old and an 80-year-old are both going to be able to sing it. And I'm so I'm not gearing it. You know, if I'm leading worship for a youth service, then maybe it'd be different. But I'm thinking I guess what we're talking about here is like a normal Sunday morning where you'd have a large range of ages. I'm looking yeah. for songs that like anybody could sing that are saying truths about God that are legit. And I think that I also am looking for songs that are kind of catchy because I think that songs, more than anything, people remember them. And they get like yeah. written on people's hearts. And they like, they're, they're, the, they're the things that people leave church kind of humming. And when they're driving in their car like a week later, they're the ones that, like, that it comes back to mind. Like usually they're not like remembering like sermon points, but they are remembering some melody they heard at church. Absolutely. So I think that's also really important. So let's yeah. move on to, to when. Yeah. When should a new song be introduced? And the question is, what would you guys say is the best place in a worship service or a set list to introduce a new song? Mm. Like, where do you put a new song if you are going to introduce one? Yeah. Dustin, you want to go first? Yeah, sure. Okay, man. Yeah, the one thing that I was thinking is, uh, like, a middle song. You know, if you have, like, a worship set of three songs, we generally do three up front. Um, That second spot is safe because you can either introduce it People are already in, they're, you know, they're in, their shoulders are down a little bit after that first one, so they're ready to learn something new. It would probably be the best place for me is like in the middle of the worship set. Yeah, yeah. in the middle? 
What about you, Chad? Where do you guys usually introduce yeah, new songs? I do it all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> like I, I really like doing a new song up top because the congregation doesn't know the song, and so I can already anticipate, you know, their participation with me is going to be very low. And if I really want to aim for participation within a 60 or 75-minute service, I want to be careful about how far down in the liturgy or the, the worship set or the song set that we put a new song because that's instantly going to break participation. Mm. That's why I like doing it up top. But I also like doing it later because it gives me as a leader a chance to explain the big why we're doing that particular song. Uh, And then it gives me a chance to do a pre-teach in the service or then gives me the opportunity to then come back later to it. So I've done it in all different places. I guess it really just depends on, you know, the style of the song and and where it fits, you know, uh, theologically and musically within the whole service. That's an interesting thought. I honestly never have thought of putting a new song at the beginning of a set because I yeah. thought that's like the kickoff. I'm going <laughs> to do a song that everybody knows to get people yeah. engaged, not like to disengage them. Yes. But I do yeah. see what you're saying in that usually in the first song, people aren't that engaged anyway. That's right. <laughs> so maybe yeah. that's a good thing. I don't know. That's, that's an yeah. interesting. I can, I can see that. I was going to play devil's advocate on you on that one. For me, I think where I usually have placed new songs is two things. One, I always try to work with the production team to queue up so they're playing the new song like the mp3 during walk in and walk out so that people are learning the song before they've even heard us play it like they're hearing it in the lobby or they're hearing it in the bathroom or something and that way they're like already getting ready and then i've always done new songs like during like an offering spot where everybody's sitting yep gives you a chance to like explain why maybe give the story behind the song maybe Mm -hmm. teach a chorus even but everybody's sitting and they're just watching and engaged and listening and then maybe like as you're playing through the offering song, have them stand up and join you. Yeah. And then the next week, I actually put it in the worship set. Yeah. If it works. You know what I mean? You can tell. And we're going to talk about that in a minute. Yeah. yeah. But so that's interesting. I do think, though, that the general consensus here is you don't really want to put a new song in the like supreme heart spot of a worship set. Like sure. You probably don't want to do a new song like, when everybody, I don't know, I guess it, it all it comes down to preference. But you want to be like very thoughtful about where you're doing it, I think, is the idea. Yeah, being thoughtful is important because I, I, like for me, there's huge value in just listening in worship, right? So if, if you take a new song that isn't a fast song, but it's a slow song and no one knows it, there's a lot of power in, in doing that song in a way that gives the congregation a, can, a chance just to sit and listen and take it in and let it settle in their heart like they would actually be hearing scripture read over them. So yeah, I, I totally agree. The thoughtfulness behind the song helps indicate where we could put it. Yeah. Yeah. So is, would you guys say there's ever a time in a church when you should not introduce a new song? Like when is like the big no-no, like, wow, that's probably a bad idea. Like, is it, are we talking holidays? Is it like, you know, is Christmas Eve not the night to do it? Or is it maybe? <laughs> Easter Sunday? People introduce new songs all the time on Easter Sunday, I feel like. Yep. It's yep. when you come out with like the brand new, like huge gospel choir like song that just came out like, a couple weeks before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But what do you guys think? Is there, a, is there a season in a church when it's probably not wise mm-hmm. to introduce new songs? Yeah, me and Chad were kind of talking about this uh, beforehand of, you know, if you're in a vision series or if there's a lot of information that your pastors are leading your congregation in, 
um, it's probably wise to serve your congregation in a way of giving them stuff they're really familiar with. So you're setting the pastor up for success to lead them in something new because they've had 20 to 30 minutes of familiar worship songs. So I'd say that's one time to like get with your lead pastor. What's going on in this church on Sunday? Is there a big initiative that they're announcing? Um, let's, yeah. you know, let's serve the congregation that way. Yeah, that's really good, Dustin. Um, I like the idea of serving the congregation like he's talking about. When people come to Christmas Eve, there are so many expectations that they have coming to a Christmas service. And one of them is they want to sing the Christmas carols, right? So if I bust out my brand new Christmas song that I've written in front of, you know, however many people decide to come for one or two times a year at that particular service, I've completely eliminated them singing with me and I've let their expectation down, right? So I try to not to do new music on Christmas Eve simply because of that very value. Like they're coming, they want to sing. And so I'm going to do everything I can to, to enhance that. Yeah. Even if, even if it sounds different, I'm not saying necessarily the style of the song, but man, like on Christmas Eve, I stick to the carols because that's what they want to sing. Right. Yeah. That's, that's such a good point. It's probably not a good time to play your like new brand new rendition of silent night that has a different chorus and different verses. And that's right. Like people just want to sing the standard silent night, give the people what they want. And, but do it beautifully, you know, do it, do it with passion and creativity, but right. Man, don't, don't, don't take something that is sacred to people who have the expectation they're going to get to do it and then just twist yeah. it. You lose their participation in a, in a second. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think one of the keys too is not introducing new songs every single week, like constantly. So like one, one reason that you should not introduce new songs is if you're, if you just did it last week, I don't think that like every week you should be doing a brand new song. Because yeah. it takes people some time to learn songs. Like, you know, we're all sitting in our church office all week long, listening to worship music, all, you know, and the people who are coming to church probably are not doing that, at least as much as we are. So it takes them, yeah. I think, longer to, like, ingest these new songs than it does take us. So, you know, being careful with not introducing too much too soon, I think. Agreed. Well, here, here's a challenging piece of that, too, is... Like I, I used to have this idea that I would take a new song and I, I was going to teach it to my congregation. So I was going to do it three weeks in a row. I was going to take a weekend off and then I was going to come right back with it on the fifth weekend, right? Yep. And, then, by, and then, then I would assume that after five weeks doing it four times, my church would know the song. But the problem is my church isn't coming every weekend. They're coming maybe twice a month at best. So now you're, you're literally talking about introducing a new song not just within a four-week time period, but an eight- or a nine-week time period so that people at least get to hear it two or three times, right? So yeah, that right. really stretches out the timeline for a new song, and then you take that and you put that on a timeline of 52 weeks. That's not a lot of new music. Yeah. One thing that we kind of realized was when we're starting to get sick of the song, the congregation's just starting to learn it. <laughs> it's so true. Yeah. So you, yeah. you've played it three times at rehearsal. You've played it twice on Sunday morning. Then you lead it every service. You do it for three weeks. You're sick and tired of that song. Yeah. But the congregation might might just be catching on to it. True. That's a good point. That's so true. how far in advance do you guys usually plan new songs? Like, is it something where you hear a song on a Thursday night that just came out, and you're like, oh, yes, we're doing it this Saturday night? Or <laughs> yeah, do no, you, or do you no, put no. it... 
<laughs> yeah, or do you guys kind of put it in the hopper for like a month later? Like, how do you guys usually do that? Yeah, um, I'd say at least two weeks out. There are times that, you know, you find out on Thursday what the pastor's, you know, preaching on. You're like, actually, this song would fit way better. But um, I think two weeks is good for, I think we'll get into it later, but to get your band prepped, to get your congregation prepped. Um, there's mm-hmm. cool things that you can do during the week to prep your congregation. So I'd say at least two weeks before trying to introduce it in service. Yeah, two weeks is good. I, I, you know, we, we work eight to ten weeks out on our set lists, at least uh, from, a, from a big picture standpoint. And we are, we're always trying to do like one new song per season or per quarter or per sermon series, however the calendar works itself out. So I agree with Dustin. The, the idea that you can give time to your teams to not only learn the song, but own it and let it be an authentic expression place dividends for you when you when you talk about then translating that to the church mm-hmm. when the congregation hears it for the very first time they're going to be thrown if they're looking at musicians who don't know the song well or don't own it it's not yeah. an authentic expression of their worship right so time is very very important okay so before we move into the last category which is how do we introduce new songs and this is going to be the really i think important category because this is like the practical tips and steps that worship leaders can use to like how do you actually do this I'm going to throw a curveball question at both of you. What is a new song in the past month or two that you have introduced at your church that really went very well? Like, people are loving it. And uh, mm. I will start, and I will say that a new song that... It's actually a song I've played for a long time, but I've started introducing it when I travel to different churches, is Yes, I Will. Yep. And people just love that song. It's just super easy... It is like very powerful anthem. Chad, what's a new song that you guys have introduced? Yeah, um, we've introduced a, a thousand. We've done a thousand tongues and uh, "Stand in Your Love" by Bethel. Kind of think. Uh, oh, we did "Echo" a few weeks ago. That was kind of fun to try to do. So those are three that I know we've gone after recently. Echo. Echo. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I have not I tried that one. Yeah, it's not an easy song. <laughs> you got to be like Torin Wells, right? And he's, yeah. I feel like, it, all right, <laughs> I don't have that kind of voice. Dustin, <laughs> what about you, man? Yeah, um, Move by Chris McClarney and Jesus Culture. Oh. Uh, it's, I mean, I've been living with it for, how how long did it come out? Like two months ago, maybe, maybe even longer than that. Yeah. But um, we introduced it two or three weeks ago, and it's just catching on like fire and like, Last night we had like a partners meeting, like a members meeting, and it was just like you could cut it with a knife in the air of just the worship mm-hmm. that was happening in there. Yeah, um, and it's like, and that's one of the songs that not necessarily have to explain the lyrics because it's catchy. It you know it's common themes in it. Um, yep. So that's just been great. And raise a hallelujah in the past two months is just yeah, it's really yeah. Raise cool. a hallelujah, Bethel music. It's yeah. a beautiful song. It's interesting man. how, like, when it works, you know it works. And when mm-hmm. it doesn't work, you also know when it doesn't work. I, <laughs> yeah. I will say that a song that I've been surprised by, because I bet you guys have had this experience before, where you think that a song is really going to work because it, like, maybe really moves you. Yes. And you think, okay, we're going to do this on Sunday morning, and you do it, and it's just like, wow, it doesn't seem like that really worked. I will tell you that, and you guys might disagree on this one, but from my experience... 
I've been surprised at goodness of God. I love goodness of God. But when I've played it at churches, it seems like people are just kind of like, okay, it's good. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Is, it, is there a song like that for you guys? Does it one pop into mind where you're just like, oh, yeah, I thought that was going to go really well. And it didn't really, like, hit as hard as I thought it would. Mm. I did not prepare you for that question, but I'm just curious <laughs> if one pops in your mind. Yeah, um, I'm blanking on the title right now. Elevation, not God of Miracles. Mm. Yeah. Is that Elevation or is that McClarney? I'm blanking on it. It's very similar, but that one just pumped about. And like, some songs are just for like a specific time and place. like, yep. Or maybe it's just like one ser- service, you know, like. Yeah. Where it's theme focused. It's focus. because the, the idea that a song doesn't work is such an interesting question because there's so many non-objective reasons yeah. as to why it may or may not work. And sometimes what feels like it's not working for me is just doing great work in the hearts of my church. Yeah. Right? And uh, it's really interesting because you said goodness of God. That's actually a song that we introduced at Christ Church uh, four months ago, maybe, shortly after the album came out. And of all the songs on that album, that was the one that grabbed me. And I think why it's actually worked when I've done it is because I've, I've explained that this song is actually a song that looks back. It's a backward song. And so if, if, if I'm kind of cueing the congregation into why they're singing what they're singing, suddenly yeah. their lyrics have a little bit more value. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. Putting yeah. some sort of story meaning the why behind it, which I think is another important thing when we're introducing new songs yeah. is to maybe even have a little like just it doesn't even have to be long like a 30 second just explain like what this song means to the, to your church you know or to you mm-hmm. as a worship yeah. leader true yeah matt you said something about um maybe even just like a certain service it didn't feel like it was uh received or you didn't see the response that's something to keep your pulse on too of maybe your different services have a different feel to them uh, i don't know if you guys ever experienced that that maybe one service is different than the yeah other. like just that so, like the 9 a.m. is on fire, and then the 11's like, eh, just to sip in a cup of coffee. Yep. yep. Yeah. That's true. Oh, this is a great show. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, well, let's talk about the how. So this is great. I love this conversation because this is stuff that every worship leader who's watching this, I'm sure, can relate to this, all of these things. Yeah. Because this, these are, like, real... I mean, we, ha- we have to be, like, adding new songs. Like, we have to be kind of, like, changing and growing. And these are all questions that I'm sure people have... Um, and have to kind of deal with. So here's a question. Like, so how do you help your band learn new songs? So are there any strategies that you use when you hear, you know, a new Bethel song or whatever, how do you get your band to then also learn them and catch on? Yeah, Chad, do you want to go first? On yeah, that? I'll jump in. Uh, one of the things we do is we take the song and we break it down into sections, and then we actually create our own tracks to go with those songs. So then we send it to the team, and then the team has it weeks out. So uh, that's one method I've done where I, where I actually just create the arrangement the way we're going to do it and send it to them weeks in advance yeah. that they get it. Another thing that I've done is I've actually said, uh, hey, guys, we're going to do a new song in September. And so I've added two or three songs in an email chain to my band and said, these are two or three songs that we're looking at over the next few months go check these songs out. I don't know when we're going to do them yet, but I know they're coming. So here they are. Yeah. And that's helped. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah you, you said it. It's like give your band as much runway as possible with them. Uh, Matt, you said it earlier of like so they can own it, they can live in it. And then, you know, thinking about giving them a two to three sentence reason why you want to introduce that song. And it's not just like my preference. This is why. Um, and then resources, resources, resources. Yeah, right. Send the, the song most, to them. Tell them why. Yep. Yeah. Tons of great tons of great sites out there that and that's yeah and that's a pretty basic one it's just yeah. sending it to them ahead of time too it's just being organized being administrative that's probably yeah. the thing where you probably don't want to introduce a song two days before sunday <laughs> yeah it just comes down to being organized uh you know just somewhat ahead of the game so well, and the resourcing is is good too because the each musician learns the song differently right yeah so giving them multiple forms of the same song is helpful so yeah we give we give every link possible to that song uh, if there's more than one version on YouTube, I'll try to send it over. Yeah. Because I want them to experience not just the song in one form, but in multiple forms. Yeah. If I've got a worship team member who really likes Apple Music, and I got another worship team member who lives in Spotify, yeah. I'm sending both links. Yeah. Right. And yeah. there's even like YouTube videos where artists do like tutorial videos for drummers yeah. and bass players, and those yeah. are good too. Yep. So how do you help your congregation learn the new song? Do you introduce it? Or do you just play it? I know we talked about this a little bit earlier, but let's just dig down a little deeper. When you're actually introducing the new song, how do you get your people to learn it? I'll start yeah. on this one if I can. Yeah. Um, and I don't do this every time, but there have been times where I literally will just start. I'll be like, hey, I'm going to teach you the chorus right now. It's really simple. And I, I just, on my acoustic it. guitar, just, just sing through the chorus like twice. Mm-hmm. And then actually launch the track and launch into the song. Yeah, that's a... Uh... That was one of my first uh, thoughts on that was just add a chorus or a bridge to a similar song in a similar key. So they're already into um, that moment. And then you add something out, like a tag onto it. And then, then you can roll into the next song. Um, so like maybe the week prior of doing the full version, you add a tag. So they're like, oh, we sang that last week. Uh, yeah. yeah, and lead them off track, of course, a few times. Get them singing. Get them catching the melody. Oh, man. Yeah, that's good. Getting them to sing with it is huge. So we've we've actually taken songs apart, and like you guys have said, take a chorus or a bridge. Uh, the pre-teach is powerful because it actually creates a moment in worship that doesn't feel like everything else. We're actually just having a casual conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I think sometimes we do music, and then there's this like fake facade or invisible facade. And when I strip all that out, and I just have, hey guys, we're gonna do this new song today. It's one that I'm passionate about. Suddenly they're they're relating with me as a worship leader in an entirely different context. Yes. And any time you can break down that barrier and that yes. wall yes. in front of the stage between you and the people is a yep. win for sure. It's a total win. People yep. love when they can just connect with, oh, yeah, he's a real person. <laughs> yeah. This isn't some show we're watching. The other thing I've done is I've, I've actually done a new song twice in the same service. So I'll do it up top, and then I'll indicate, hey, uh, we're going to come back later in the morning, and we're going to sing this again. Ooh. So I will, I'll introduce the song up top in the worship set, and then actually the response to the sermon ends up being a, re- a reprise of the new yes. song. So I'm actually getting it twice in the same service. And people like that because they like to sing new songs, and if I give them a chance to hear it and learn it and then come back and do it again all within the same service, the, val- the participation value goes way up. Oh, yeah. Boom. Yeah. That's a yeah. great pro tip right there. Everybody yeah. listening, everybody watching, you could reprise it at the end of the service. I think that also goes with like walk-in, walk-out music. Play the song, have your, tech, have your production team play it in the walk-in, walk-out. Or yeah. have your social media team, your marketing team, use it in like a church video that they're posting in the middle of the week. 
Bingo. There's so many little touch points you can do to like start introducing it to people. How and I've often- seen I've seen too like they they some churches will actually do the song on the weekend and then they'll come back and they'll do like a uncut acoustic version of it to put out on social media. I've seen other churches do that. That's yep. really cool. Just to get the song in the in the rotation so people keep hearing it. So let's do a little round robin here for a minute. Let's go around and just say at your church where you're at, on average, how many new songs are you introducing per month? Is that a fair mm-hmm. question? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it could be zero. Your answer could be zero. Mine say, would probably be ahead. one. Mm-hmm. What, what about you guys? Yeah, I'd say uh, max one a month because uh, Chad, you were saying earlier, like doing it two weeks in a row is super helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, and then taking a week off and then bring it back that following week. So yeah. right there and alone is that that month you've introduced that one song. Um, it's even kind of scary sometimes to go into the next month introducing another one because, like we talked earlier, they might have just caught on right the previous month. Yep. Right. Yeah, so, I, we're we're anywhere between ten and twelve new songs a year. Okay. Any any more than twelve a year is almost putting too much in front of them. If the, if the highest value is to get them to sing with you. Yeah, right. In some places, some context, singing with us is not the primary value. Uh, but if you're in a congregation where the primary value of worshiping is to get them to sing with you, any more than yeah. 12 songs a year and you've overloaded the congregation. That's a good point you just brought up because I was just thinking, there's a church that I lead worship at here in Chicago. I was on staff there for like nine years. And there is a portion in their service, they call it the special, and it usually happens during offering. Every single Sunday, there's a special slot. So we do a normal worship set, and then there's the special, and that's a new song. It's something, and, it's, and it's not necessarily a song we'll ever sing again. Right. <laughs> so it's just like some random song that we'll sing, and it's actually more singing over the people than expecting them to sing with us. And right. that's just the way that the church, that's just one of the things the church wants to do, is have that special moment. Um, yeah, I think, we, I think as worship leaders, we want to identify the function of the song. Yeah, that's important. And if, if we can under, understand the function of the song we're bringing to the church, then we, then we can then determine where in the service it can go and how often. Yes, mm-hmm. right. So I guess, I guess technically at that church, I'm playing 52 new songs a year. <laughs> <laughs> All right, once a new song is introduced, like once you've actually introduced it, how often... Do you sing it? Yeah. We're, we're seasonally driven. So let's say I introduce a song that is kind of uh, kind of centers around the idea of repentance and confession. Man, from like February up until the beginning of Easter, that's a beautiful season to be singing songs of confession and repentance because it, at our congregation, we lean into the Lenten season. Where singing a song of confession is really powerful during that time of the year, it's not often that we would come back to that that expression of worship for the rest of the year. Mm. So for us, it's more of a seasonal decision. Yeah. Especially if the song is Advent driven, you're not going to be singing that in June. Yeah. (laughs) So uh, for us, it's seasonal. And Chad, I've led worship at your church. Yeah. um, And I know that you guys have songs that are specific just for a, for a theme. Like maybe you're doing like a two month series and you just sing. I remember we did to be like you by Hillsong. Oh yeah. And I don't think we've ever sang it again, but it was for that time and place. It was. And people yeah. loved it. They did. Yeah. Dustin, what does yeah. it look like for you guys? 
Yeah, um, when we introduced Won't Stop Now, we were in a series called Won't Stop Now, so that was super creative to put those two together. <laughs> <laughs> and it stuck, which was awesome, so it became part of our normal kind yeah. of rotation of songs. Um, but there were songs that might go with another sermon series. Our sermon series could go for three weeks or nine months. Um, so doing this, I believe, in a nine-month series, you're going to get sick of this, I believe, in that yeah. nine months. So yeah, very similar. Like if it if it's part of a sermon series and it sticks and yeah. people are really responding to it, we throw it in the rotation and keep it going. If it was good for that series and it was good for that series, we let it go. I yeah, love that's it. really good. Yeah, that's really good. A lot of times I'm thinking of the metaphor of like a diet. And so as a worship leader, I'm I'm wrestling with the diet that I'm giving the church over the course of fifty two weeks. Mm. And I'm not going to feed my kids the same meal every night. Mm, yeah. Right? You're not going to give them dessert for every course. <laughs> Absolutely not. That's exactly right. Well, they, yeah, you're right. So, <laughs> so the idea is, is that over the course of 52 weeks, you know, we want to be mindful of the diet we're feeding them. Yeah. And uh, so that's why it goes back to the function of that song. If the song functions a certain way, there's a, an entry point for the function of that particular song. Yeah. And it's not always going to stay that way throughout the year. Yeah. And we talked about that in our podcast a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Serving a well-balanced diet. Mm-hmm. Dustin, I just love the picture of you like being like, what song would go with this series? Because I know that every worship leader knows that feeling where like, the pastor's like, all right, we're going to do a sermon series called Good Grace. And every worship leader gets in Google, Good Grace. <laughs> Good Grace. What song is there? For- oh, look, a New Hillsong song. Good- yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's awesome. All right, so two more questions here. And this is an interesting one. You introduce a new song because you're like, this is going to be awesome. Such a great anthem for our church. Come on. You teach the song to them, you play it, and it just doesn't stick. And people don't seem to like it. It just doesn't go over well. What do you do then? Awkward mm-hmm. turtle, right? Yeah. I didn't know that happens, actually. <laughs> <laughs> that happens? I'm sorry that happened to you, Matt. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I have a story. Because I do think this ties in in that I do know there's been times where maybe a song means something to me. Mm-hmm. it's a personal preference. And this is the hard part about a worship leader. It's a hard role of a worship leader. Is you have to lay down your personal preference for the sake of the congregation. So there's songs that I've been asked to play that I'm like, I do not like that song. But the church loves it, or the pastor wants it, or whatever. And yeah. you play it, because it's not about my preference. But I do have an example of a time where I remember playing a song at a conference that meant a lot to me personally. And I thought, this is going to be great. People are going to love it. How could they not? <laughs> I love it. And it was actually a song called History Maker, an oh, old yeah. delirious song. Yeah, mm-hmm. man. And that song's been around for like 20 years, right? Yep. Well, this was like two years ago at this conference that I thought, I'm going to bring this song back. And it was a total dive, like man. horrible. No what one happened? liked it. What, no one's, what, made it what, what made it a dive? Just no one sang. Mm. And, I, and I just kept pushing it. Every session we like played History Maker, <laughs> History Maker. Come on. I'm like hitting him over the head with it. And yeah. just people didn't, didn't like it, especially compared to like other songs that we were playing, like Great I Am or something. Yeah. You know, and people are just like singing along. But that was just a good reminder to me of like, okay, when I'm choosing songs, I need to be really unbiased here. Mm-hmm. Like what is going to serve my congregation best? Not what's mm-hmm. going to serve me best, but what's going to serve the congregation best. So I'm curious for you guys, what do you do when a song doesn't work? 
Yeah. We don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> you just stop. Will you just introduce yeah, I mean, it and then never do it again? Yeah, I mean, unless I mean, unless the song really challenges the congregation to think about a character or an aspect of worship or God that uh, we think is is something that's vital for their growth, we we won't do it again. And there's tons of songs over the years that have come along that were great for a few weeks or a few months, and then the the passion for that that expression just disappeared. And that's okay with us. We we're okay with saying no to a song. Yeah. Uh, because more will come, right? So Yeah, that's I, true. We just, we just don't do it. Hey, you know what's really awkward and hard is when it's a song you wrote. <laughs> 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 and you're like introduce it to your congregation. You're like, hey, this song just you know, I wrote it for you guys. Yeah. I wrote it for the season that the church is in. We're <laughs> gonna be singing this. And then you just like they're like, Wow, whatever happened to that? We never sing that again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Dustin. Yeah, one of, the, one of the things really like, you know, coming off the platform or Monday morning, Tuesday morning, you know, just really thinking like, what didn't stick? Was it the lyrics? Was it the melody? Was it the key? Kind of like breaking that down a little bit. Yeah. Because um, did we sing in the wrong key? Death was arrested when we first introduced it. it. We did it in a wrong key. And the next week we bumped it down and total different response not sure if it was the key not sure if it was the two weeks in a row yeah um, but then also thinking about like you know if you introduce so will i which is amazing but it was a lot for the people to think about in that yeah 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 that still is a positive thing that you put that in their thoughts and they were probably left thinking about that song but they might not want to sing it on a sunday morning yeah dustin you just touched on a very important tip and it's a very basic thing and it's choosing the right key because the thing is and this is kind of a soapbox that i've been on in the past year or two is that like guys in the worship band you guys got there at like 8 a.m have been have had a pretty good vocal warm-up by the time service comes around so you can sing that song in like the key of like c or something but then everybody else who comes into the church they can't sing that high and they're not going to engage as as much you have yeah. to put songs in singable keys. I, I was on staff at a church. I remember when I first joined staff there, I used to always sing keys, songs in keys that were, they were recorded in, oh. yeah. which is really high. The staff there would just rip into me all the time. I can't believe you're singing it so, so high. We need to lower it. And what's funny now is that now they all sing every song in like the songs they recorded in. Yep. But I think as an attendee, because I've gone to church a lot more recently than I have led, I've noticed that if the worship leader is doing a song that's too high, and it's like 9 a.m. You're done. You're I'm not, not going to sing, and I'm a singer. Yeah. yeah. So think about the people who like actually don't sing for professionally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, one of the here's a little trick that I've used is particularly because a lot of songs are male vocal driven. Now we're getting. I think we're getting better in terms of the the wider culture of worship to have more songs that are female driven. But predominantly, the male vocal voice is the lead voice on many of the worship songs that I've picked over 20 years. And a lot of those songs tend to be super high and it shoots the female vocal right out of the expression in the congregation. So the, a little trick mm. that I've done is I've lowered the song so that the melody of the verses ends up being female driven and the choruses end up being male driven. Yeah. And then, I've, and then basically what I've done is I've said, okay, the, the, in my mind, the female voice is going to run the verses and the male voice is going to run the, the chorus and yep. it keeps the song more singable. And it's not every song that, but the, when there's songs that have a yeah. ninth or a tenth, maybe even a twelfth range on the melody line, 
you want to be really careful how long you stay up at that high pitch because they're just not going to sing with you. Yeah. Goodness of God, Lord, I need you. Those are great songs to do that with. Cornerstone. Yeah. Cornerstone's a great example of that. Those are solid. Yeah. Okay, so final question. How do you actually gauge if you're going to keep a new song or if you're going to get rid of it? This is, and this kind of goes on along with what we've been talking about. Of like, How do you know if a new song is worth keeping or not? Hmm. Because- theology, theology, theology. <laughs> <laughs> like doctrine, doctrine, doctrine. What, what are we giving our church? What are we teaching them? Uh, how is it informing them and how is it forming them? And if a song's not going to inform and form them over the course of two or three years, is it really that valuable to us? For me, it's, it's going to be, I'm going to keep songs that keep my congregation moving towards Jesus, moving towards their understanding of God and growing in their expression of worship. And some songs are good for a season, but they don't keep the, they don't keep the worshiper moving and forming. So I, that's, that's a big thing for me. So is whether they sing or not not a factor? Uh, it is over time because okay. if the function of the song is intended for them to sing to God and to each other and the song over time doesn't accomplish that, I'm not doing it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, a, that's actually really good. Like thinking about, we think about like the Sunday morning uh, journey that we want the congregation to go on. I love expanding that view to what's the nine month journey that we're yes. looking. So I love the like the diet and all that kind of references you're kind of using. Now I actually wanted you to expand on Chad of like you were so quick to say we're not going to do it again. Like what's that factor of like not going to do it again? Like do you do it? How many weeks do you do until you're like nope? Or was it like one Sunday that you're like nope? Yeah, I don't think I've ever had the feeling after one weekend that we'll never do that song again. But I think that's a kind of a learned discovery with my congregation over a period of weeks or months to decide whether a song really works or not. Uh, and again, for me, it, it just goes back to the, the, the substance of the song. Um, so there's been a few songs that we've done over the years, and we've done them four, five, six, seven times. And then you just kind of think, it's, this isn't really moving my church. It was good for that series or that set, you know, that particular service but it's not one of the songs that I'm going to put in my 30 or 40 songs for the life of my church. So, yeah. Yeah. One of the things that we kind of uh, gauge it is more of, cause it's easy to come off the platform and just be like totally discouraged on, you don't see the participation and stuff. So definitely seeking, I mean, we all have that like five people in the congregation that you really, really trust their opinion and they're really looking out for you. Yeah. Um, getting their feedback on it. Like, what was it? How did, you know, how did it go over? How did it speak to them? But they're not in it all week like we are. So how did it feel in that? And if it was, you know, those people that you like truly, truly trust their advice, that's my first thing to do. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, getting feedback, asking your pastor, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. but I do yeah. think that for the most part, new songs need a couple times to give, uh, to get a good judgment call on, eh, let's cut it. It was good. It was fun while it lasted. <laughs> yeah. You know? You know I, think, I think for us, too, like we, we underestimate the vulnerability it takes to sing. Hmm. And for someone, for someone like us, for, you know, we love to sing. It's part of our passion and our makeup. But not everyone likes to sing, even though we're all commanded to do it. Yep. And so the idea that we're going to ask people who don't feel vulnerable or safe to do it yeah. to then do it and then say, if you don't do it, 
that means the song I picked was the wrong song. I, I just feel like that's casting too much expectation on people. So for me, the, the reason I would cancel a song would be is if I know that without a doubt, I have done due diligence to create safety yep. for them to sing with me. And if mm. after that happens, it's not working, then yes. that's when I would be like, oh, okay, this isn't, this isn't for our church. Yes. As long as we've done our due diligence yeah. to serve a well-nourishing meal, yes, it's up to the people to partake in that. And it's, it's, it's really up to God at that point, <laughs> you know, to, yeah. like, to actually do the work in people's hearts. Like, we take so much of the responsibility on ourselves as, as if we can change people's lives. Mm-hmm. But we just need to do our part in serving solid songs that are speaking good theology and leading people well in that. So yep. I think that's so good. Guys, I love you both. <laughs> and I'm so glad that we were able to have this conversation. The only thing that was missing was a cup of coffee <laughs> or three of them. Yeah. yeah. Um, but thank you guys for what you're doing in your churches. And I'm sure I'm going to see you guys soon. But thank you for joining this call. This has been a good discussion. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks, Matt. Thanks for joining us on the Loop Community Podcast. Music from this episode is brought to you by John Guerra from his album, Little Songs. Make sure you check it out on Apple Music or Spotify. If you enjoy listening to this podcast, leave a review and a rating. It means a lot. We'll see you soon.